Well, I think I think part of the sourcing process to me is the most exciting because you you know you rent a car and you drive through the south of France and you know you obviously have some appointments set up, but you know some of the most exciting things happen when you're just kind of winging it. And you meet a farmer at you know a wine fair, and he's you know he says, "Well, come back to my come back to my estate," and you're not quite sure where you're going, and you follow a guy in a Peugeot, you know, up a rambling hill, and all of a sudden you you come across either a castle or a, like a shack in the woods, and the guy's making wine out of a, the back of his you know house, or he could be making wine out of a major estate. You know, looks are deceiving, but you you want to. You want to assume that someone with a very established chateau is making good wine, but nine times out of ten, the guy out of the garage, who's like super passionate, is making these better wines, and they're maybe more, more rustic and less polished. So to me, like the restaurateur, the sommelier, this story resonates with them about the small farmer, you know, the guy who's making wine um, on small quantities, 80 cases, 100 cases. Those are the things exciting to Barterhouse that, and hopefully the things exciting to our clients. Welcome to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting from two shipping containers at Roberta's Pizza at 261 Moore Street in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm Carmen DeVito. And I'm Alice Marcus Krieg. And we are the Garden Ladies. We can call ourselves ladies now, right, Alice? Yes. <laughs> Groundworks Inc. Despite what you see on Facebook, we are ladylike. <laughs> um, we design, build, and maintain gardens all around New York. And this show aims to bring the culture to horticulture. That's right. And what better topic that would demonstrate that aim is than botanical Latin. Right. Right, Alice? Right. So on this week's show, we begin with the first part of a two-part series on botanical Latin. And before you start yawning and rolling your eyes back into your heads, listen, this is important stuff. It's actually really important stuff. Yeah. It's kind of about sex and yeah. location. Have we got your attention now? <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Scott. <laughs> yes. yes, and I have lots to talk about on that subject. Okay, well, Good. let's explain who Scott is. He's not just a voice from, from, from the outer ether. Space. <laughs> now, for those of you who don't know who Scott is, shame on you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you who he is. He is our favorite horticultural taxonomist and friend, and he's calling in from Vieques, Puerto Rico. And he's going to help us understand why botanical Latin matters and how to decipher it. Scott Appel is the green man, the original green man, before green was greenwashing everything. Um, <laughs> before green was a design term. That's right. He was, that's right. <laughs> Scott is a self-professed culinary horticulturist. And although he is a professional horticultural taxonomist, which makes him uniquely qualified to talk on this topic, he is also a trained baker, a chef, and culinary historian. He combines all these disciplines into one. 
when he explains to his cooking and gardening students the history of the diverse herbs, fruits, and vegetables used in the kitchen or cultivated in both temperate and tropical gardens. He is the author of several books and innumerable articles. He lives, teaches, writes, cooks, and gardens in Vieques, Puerto Rico. Scott. So let's, well, ta- let's, talk, let's talk Latin, botanical Latin. Well, semper uh, ubi, sububi, always wear underwear. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Do the hokey you know, pokey. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, um, but I don't think you follow that, that proverb. <laughs> now, do well, you? Let's not, well, let's not get too personal. Well, that's right. So Back to our not, lessons, it, everyone. Back to the it's plants. Not, it's, not, it's not television, at least. Um, <laughs> you, you know, I've been, in horticulture, you know, I've been in horticulture my whole life, and I've been studying botanical Latin because I think it's really fascinating and knowing the name the scientific names of plants to me is riveting you know uh although other people of course would be bored to tears but in all the classes i've given uh you know throughout my career people really whine oh i hate these latin names why do i have to know these names i can't even say these names can't i just call it the fuzzy wuzzy plant or some silly stupid name Right. You know, and you keep that, and you keep that thought in mind because that's, and that that that's a really big segue. What you just said, yeah, um, it's the root of it, so to speak. But um, bum. <laughs> you know, and um, well, you know, but why do we why do we need to know? You know, you read garden books and you have the Latin names, and you know, you go to a nursery and there's the plant tag. Right, and it has an English and a, a, a Latin name, but you know why bother? Mm-hmm. And I've got a, a couple of a big stories to tell, and this is this is one, and this really exemplifies why I thought we should do this program together. Okay, as folks know, you know you and Alice. And I used to work at the Horticultural Society of New York. Although we had different jobs, my job was director of education, and I would fence um, horticultural questions from the public. They could be authors, they could be writers, they could be just you know a simple person with a houseplant question. Right. Didn't matter. I got a call once, and you were behind me, uh, Carmen, as a matter of fact, sitting at your desk, oh. from a lady from the deep south and she had a really heavy southern accent can i play her can i play her in the movie (laughs) you may i had no idea what you look like but you certainly may or i could all right scott (laughs) tell me tell the story please (laughs) (laughs) so she the the woman says you know i'm writing an article about mother the common name mother-in-law's tongue right and i'd like to check you know, uh, facts check, and may ask you some questions. And I said, yes, of course, you know. Um, well, is it true that mother-in-law's tongue comes from South Africa? And I said, well, no, it really comes from tropical West Africa. Oh, oh so she's ma- I can hear her writing. Is it true that mother-in-law's tongue is used for making um, uh, fabrics, coarse fabrics? And I said, well, no. Um, it, it doesn't have any persistent plant parts. It's really, you know, uh, herbaceous. Oh, uh, and she goes out and asks me another question. I said, well, do you know that in tropical West Africa, a groom 
will ceremoniously feed his new mother-in-law the plant leaves because it makes her mouth swell up, literally, so you, she would, like, shut up, so to speak. <laughs> she right. said, and no, uh, oh, I know, I didn't hear that. Before. And I finally said, what plant are you talking about? Uh-huh. Oh, well, I can't really say the name. I said, just try. She said, oh, it's Sansevieria. And I said, I'm talking about Diefenbachia. Right. So we're talking about two completely different plants. Yeah. So I had... We went through all the questions, you know, of course, and, and, you know, and her information was correct. The point is, not only do common names uh, confuse us, of course, I was in Manhattan, and what she called mother-in-law's tongue, I would call dumb cane, you know, dumb cane, mm-hmm. the house plant, mm-hmm. but in the South, it's mother-in-law's tongue, and to me, mother-in-law's tongue um, is a different plant completely. Right. So yeah. we were totally miscommunicating. Right. And that's the importance of botanical Latin right. or biological Latin, is that you can speak to someone or write to someone. Of course, you may not even know Japanese or Russian, but if you say the plant name, they know what you're talking about. Right. And that's incredibly important, especially when you're in the profession. So somebody, you know, you're not getting mixed up. Right. Another example is, is Rose of Sharon. Um, that, that's the common name. Yes. Um, and it, it actually is the common name for two separate plants, Hypericum calcicona, or calcicinum, which is the ground cover. Uh-huh. Um, and then there's, it's also a, a common name for Hibiscus syriacus, which is yes. the shrub, you know, which yes. blooms at the end of shrummer, at, at the yes. end of the summer, summer. <laughs> shrummer, <Yeah. laughs> shrub, um, neither of which is a rose. So yeah. that's that's a very serious misnomer. And, and gardeners, you know, they, they see something they like, and they're given the common name, but that isn't at all what they end up with when they are at the retail nursery buying something. And I think people are intimidated to pronounce um, the Latin. I know I sure. am, even though years being for years in the gardening profession, I get intimidated with some of these um, with some of these names and, and how to pronounce them. And I remember uh, one time. Alice and I were doing some work um, for a family member of Lyndon Miller, uh-huh. who I think uh-huh. I think you know, Scott. Um, oh, sure, she's yeah. a public garden designer. For those of you who don't know who she is, here in New York, one of the one of the most eminent uh, public garden designers. And she said that one of her greatest regrets was that she didn't um, insist on her children learning all the plant names in Latin, but she was going to correct that with her grandchildren and she would insist <laughs> that they would learn all the plants yeah. by their Latin names or botanical names. Yeah. Yes. Because it's wonderful. Yeah. And I'll tell you something and not to sound um, prideful or anything. A lot of times I don't even remember the common name. I only know the Latin. <laughs> no, I know. So, yeah. You know, so I'm the opposite field. It's like, yeah, gee, I don't know what it's called, but it's, you know, <laughs> But it's this, <laughs> right? Well, because as as I understand it, the Latin, uh, although it's not true um, Roman classical ancient, yeah. ancient Latin, it's it's more a hybrid of of um, Latin and Greek, and it's more a descriptive like of of where it grows and how it grows, and that's the importance, and that's what's going to differentiate between the species. 
Uh huh. And actually, we'll get we'll touch base on that because even though we say botanical Latin, it is not the spoken language. And I have a right. whole other story to tell you. Maybe the, the second part of of this half hour. Okay. Which was greatly embarrassing because I give the class, um, and I gave it to Latin speakers, and that. <laughs> oh, that must have been interesting, actually. <laughs> I'll tell you this. We'll, we'll get to that story. But no, it is not classic spoken language. It is really an amalgam of languages. And we'll get to how plants get their names. And I, I bet we do that later on, maybe the, the second uh, uh, half hour. Right. Um, this is going to be a two-part spe- uh, two-part series. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you right. Know, it's just it's so, and it's we're huge. only going to scratch the surface. It's huge, and of course, you know, I love the blather on, and so we need to be succinct. But um, well, can you tell us, Scott, briefly? Why was it? I I did some research on this as well, but maybe you can share as well. Why was Latin chosen as the la- the language of science, um, and specifically for botany and for plant science? Oh, well, actually, it's very easy. First, I'll say about pronunciation. Just like Spanish and just like Italian, when you look at a Latin name, whether it's an animal or a plant, every vowel makes a new con- uh, a new. Uh, uh, gee, what do you when you break up a word? I just forgot the word. Uh, uh, you mean Not a compound con- word? Compound word? Yeah, every every vowel syllable. Makes a syllable. Yes. Right. Okay. The um, so, so, for example, one of the classic mistakes is you look at the word, the genus, cotoneaster. Everyone in college the first time says cotton easter uh-huh. because that's how it, that's how it looks, but it's really cotoneaster. But the reason Latin is used is because Latin was the language of the intelligentsia. Right, in right. Europe. Of the, of the educated. Of the educated, so, right. You know, Julius Caesar didn't speak Italian. That was vulgar. He spoke Latin. Mm-hmm. Visitaries Erasmus in the 1500s spoke Latin. He was Dutch, of course, but whenever he wrote to his friends in Europe and Russia, he wrote in Latin. They wouldn't understand Dutch. Right. It was the common but, language. It was the language of the church, Scott, of diplomacy, yes, right? Yes, right. It yes, was yes, and, and, and it was the written language for it was the language for herbalists and botanists who were the doctors who were who were dealing in medicine. Right. Precisely. Yes, precisely. It was a, a, a you know, pharmacology and science. So that's why uh, uh, Latin was chosen as the basis. But of course it's not you know, classical Latin. It's not that language. Once again, it's a conglomerate. Right. Um, but it really is also like a, a structural compound um, for classification, right? I mean, because the the plant world is based on these kind of certain set structure rules. So this language was was evolved to kind of determine what these rules are. Right? It's an order. Latin is really an order. Uh, well, the Latinization, well, you know, we, as humans, you know, we need to categorize stuff. Right. It's just our nature. And, you know, you mentioned, why can't we, we call this plant, you know, the fuzzy plant, whatever that was? Yeah, I just made something you know, up. Right. 
um, well, that's what people used to do. Mm-hmm. The man that developed this whole system is Carolus Linnaeus, Carl Linnaeus, mm-hmm. a Swedish botanist. He lived 1707 to 1778, and he lived in Uppsala, uh, Sweden, which is north of Stockholm. In fact, his home is still there as a museum. It's actually really quite beautiful and rustic. Um, he devised this system of naming plants and animals. He named animals as well. Right. Um, when you go to college, you learn it as the binomial epithet, which is, of course, a big mouthful, meaning the two-name system. Mm-hmm. Every creature on Earth has two names. The first name is a genus. The second name is a species. Homo sapien, right. Yes, and that means, and that's us. Right. Homo sapiens, meaning knowledgeable humans. But, of course, the way we act these days, that's probably (laughs) a really inappropriate name. (laughs) Everybody, you know, every creature has a two name, but it gets more complex, and we'll get to that as well. And Linnaeus also, he was the first to... Be or to sort of name all the parts of the plant, Scott, right? Like from the root to the stem yes. to the flower. And he was yes. the one that focused on the reproductive organs within the flower, right? To yes. to categorize them and to be much more systematic than just, you know, external descriptions, right? Well, he called his system the simple sexual system. Now, going back to the fuzzy plant part, and you'll see where the segue is going, um, don't forget, this is in the 1700s. You know, Johann Sebastian Bach, Bach died 1750, Handel died 1760. So you can, you know, uh, America became free from uh, England 1776. Mm-hmm. So you can place this historically. Right. Um, but, before, you know, but in the 1600s, a century earlier, Holland started, you know, the, the Dutch East India Company, and they, they were like the, the threshold of explorers, mm-hmm. nautical explorers, discovering plants. Mm-hmm. So, and people were just naming plants willy-nilly, yeah. like the big fuzzy plant <laughs> or the plant with the big red leaves. <laughs> and yeah. this plant has to be related to that because it's got big red leaves also. Yeah. Right. So it was totally malarkey and not scientific. And Linnaeus comes along. He, people were really pissed off at Linnaeus. Um, and he decides he's going to categorize plants by their reproductive organs, the simple sexual system. Mm-hmm. So people, when you go to a, for a garden tour, people People will say, oh, isn't that related to so-and-so? Well, no. Well, it's got the leaves just like it. Well, no. Right. It's all about how the flowers are set up, mm-hmm. how many petals, how many stamens. Is the ovary epigenous or apogenous? It's, he devised it all. It's all thanks to him. Right. Um, but it's all about the flowers. And in fact... The, the simple sexual system, of course, it really works, and you can key out, and we, we've all seen, you know, flower guides where, you know, you key out a plant. Women in the 1700s were forbidden or discouraged from studying body and horticulture, for, and here's why. For example, um, pudica in Latin 
means shy. If I said mimosa pudica, you may not know that name, but that's the sensitive plant. I'm sure you've seen that before. Uh-huh. Well, you touch the leaves and they fold up. Right. Pudica meaning shy. Mm-hmm. Well, impudica means the opposite, not shy. Well, there's a kind of mushroom. And the genus is phallus, P-H-A-L-L-U-S. I see where you're going with this. Uh-huh. So <laughs> I got, like. So you've got the unshy phallus. Uh, and when you look at it, and it erupts out of the ground like, you know, a giant penis. Um, and the ladies and the, were discouraged from from learning these words. That, right, know. right. And there's another plant. We have it here on Vegas. It's actually from India. It's uh, a vine. It's fabacious. That tells us it's a pure bean cousin. Blue and white flowers. The genus is Clitoria. And when you look at the plant... The flower, exactly. Uh-huh. You think, I mean, the illusion is, is like what in the face. Right. So we're talking about penises and clitorises. Uh, right. Women in the 1700s were, you know, not a lot of study any of that. <laughs> yeah, right. but, but Georgia it, O'Keefe was not around yet. <laughs> no, but take a, give it another hundred years. Right. After Darwin horticulture and botany was considered a very worthwhile pastime for, for ladies. ladies. Yes. And some of the best uh, uh, botanical artists, of course, were women who went to South Africa and the Caribbean and the Amazon right. to, to paint. Right. So, you know, century makes a whole lot of difference, although you get the picture, and this is not really about botanical Latin, just a segue. Sure. Well, we're going to have to take a little bit of a break, um, and we want to hear more stories um, relating to that, Scott. Um, mm-hmm. So stay tuned, everybody. Uh, we'll be right back. But the source is as commonplace as the ground we walk on, the air we breathe. The sound comes from plants through sensitive electronic devices which translate fluctuations of energy. Some call it a voice. Whatever it is, it raises the astonishing possibility that plants can communicate. Welcome back. You're listening to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. Today's topic is Botanical Latin with our longtime friend and Latin and horticulture expert, Scott Appel, calling in from Vegas. So well, we, hello. Hello. So in the first part of the show, we were talking about phalluses and clitorises. So what are we going to talk about next? <laughs> <laughs> We're well, talking about sex and, and <laughs> classification. You just wanted to say those words I did. Again. <laughs> I just wanted to say it on the radio. Where's the FCC? <laughs> so, I know it's creepy, isn't it? Uh, so, Scott, tell us some more anyway, about the origin of, of Latin and, and plants. Well, botanical Latin, as I mentioned, really is an amalgam. In fact, I'm going to read you something, it, just a sentence. Um, it 
it's, it's, it's the language of science and botany and, and biology. And even though we're talking about uh, the, uh, the scientific names of plants, their descriptions, when r- were written down, were in botanical Latin as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to read you this, and I'll translate it. Um, it's a very, it's, it's, it's just one quick line. Okay. Okay. Spe- species scapo conspicue bracteato pupacente petalus glandiosis unteris genisio paolo longirobis. Now that's a description of a plant. Now, if you gave that sentence to Julius Caesar or Elizabeth I or, you know, a, a Latin speaker, they would read it as kind with a stem conspicuously glistening like gold and reaching the age of puberty with a thin metal plate full of kernels <laughs> with the medicines from the flowers a little longer than the women's west room. Okay, so it doesn't mean anything to a Latin speaker. It reminds me of that telephone game that we all played as a kid. Remember where you would whisper something to one person and then oh somebody my gosh, would... Yes. Right? And then by the end, it was totally this like ridiculous, yes. skewed, yes. you know, made made no sense at all. You're asking That's, me to do what? Yeah. yeah. What you talking about, so, Willis? Yeah. You know, so this sentence to a Latin speaker means nothing. Right. To a botanist, it means, well, it means everything, I suppose, because it's giving you a detailed description. And in fact, it doesn't tell you what plant they're talking about. But I think it must be something like, um, oh, what's a blue flower? Corn flower. Um, Chicory? No, no, corn flower. Uh, oh, jeepers, I forget the genus. Centauria? Centauria. Centauria. And Centauria, of course, means gray, and the leaves are sort of grayish green. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, plant names mean something. They are descriptions of the plant itself, and we'll get into that far more in the next half hour. Yeah. So you said you had another story, Scott, about how botanical Latin... Uh, sort of an, a- an anecdotal story about how botanical Latin um, impacted you in a or in a situation in a seminary. Is that true? Oh well, you know, of course, you know, I give a lecture, mm-hmm. and it's usually an hour, and I've given it at the Brooklyn Botanic Gardens, at the Horticultural Society, at the New York Botanical Gardens. Well, I get a call, and, and back this is back at the Horticultural Society from a seminary in New Jersey. And they say, oh, well, we don't want an hour. We want an hour and a half. And I said, okay, you know, that's fine <laughs> if you want to be so bored. Um, so, I, you know, I took the train out there. And, of course, it's a seminary school. These are men and right. women who, I guess, are becoming priests or maybe nuns. or Religious going into- school, right. Right. And they're taking Latin as the spoken language. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's part of the curriculum. Right. Classical and Latin. Right. Classical Latin. And, of course, there I am. And there's a man in the class who says, do you mind if I record this? Oh, well, no, of course not. <laughs> well, he's asking me about dangling participles and gerund nouns. And I kept having to say, botanical Latin is not right. the spoken language. 
it is a formula for naming plants because it's got Greek in there. And when we talk about real plant names, uh, they could be languages from, the, you know, the Native American Indians or the Amazon uh, Indians but they're, or people in South but, Africa. Right, but they're know, Latinized, it, but they're Latinized somehow. Well, and they're Latinized, but right. it's not, it's, you, you can't speak it. Right. Well, because, they, because, you know, these are college people, they couldn't understand. Probably they couldn't why. even understand why you were there. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. after a while, I couldn't understand why I was there. <laughs> it was, oh. I, you know, we got through the class, you know, and it was just fine, but I thought, they're not getting it. It's like they're too smart. Yeah, yeah. You well, know, because they're taking it as, you know, like you would take French or Spanish. Literally, right, right. Well, a- another example of this for, for our listeners is um, the, the plant baby's breath, right? Gypsophilia. It's that, yeah. that white spray, you know, beautiful, mm-hmm. sweet little, little flower. If, if you're talking about Gypsophilia paniculata, um, that's grown in very uh, calcium-rich soil, right? Like, it's a, well, gyps- it's a gypsum lover. Well, philo, like Philadelphia, city of love. Uh-huh. Philo means love. Gypso, like gypsum, uh-huh. tells you it's gypsum loving. And paniculata tells you how the flowers are set up. Exactly. Versus gypsophilia repens which is a low-growing, repens meaning creeping, habit. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's, that's, you know, it's the genus um, name plus the species name, right? And the genus name is usually a noun that's capitalized, and the species name is the adjective which describes the noun, which will tell you the most about the plant height and the bloom time, etc. Uh, yes, but not always. Okay. There's always exceptions to the rule. Sure, but but the Here, here's a, here's a mouthful. Okay, and you know and you know this plant. We're talking about uh, most plants have two names. Sometimes they have more, and you know, Camisipula specifera filifera orionana. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, we use it all the time. Go- and you know, you do. It's golden threadleaf Camisipulus. Right. Camisipulus. Uh, cam, based on Latinized Greek, cami for the word ground, cypress, like the word cypress, mm-hmm. ground cypress. Decifra, I-F-E-R-A, means to have or to bear. We'll come across that lots of times in the, in the next half hour. Uh, P-I-S-I, from pisum, the genus of pea. So we have ground cypress that bears peas. Why peas? Because the little green cones, of course, it's a, it's a, it's a conifer, look like little peas. Then filifera, once again, I-F-E-R-A, to bear. F-I-L-A, phila, like the word filament, thread-bearing. Aurea, meaning golden. Nana, meaning dwarf. Right. Dwarf, thread-leaf, golden, camisiparous. I have, I grow bananas here, and they... In Spanish, you would say guineo nano. They're dwarf bananas, so it's the same word in Spanish. So a lot of times plants have more than one name, and it's a mouthful. What Linnaeus tried to stop 
with his binomial system was with plant names like I just mentioned, where there are five names. What a mouthful. Right. What a lot to remember. Yeah. But, you know, but, it, you know, in the 1600s and early 1700s, before he was doing his thing, plants had, you know, ten names in Latin, you know, and nobody could figure it out. And other people were doing their own thing. It was a whole, it was a mishmash, an unscientific mishmash, and nobody until Linnaeus really was getting it straight. Right. Was there resistance to his system, Scott, at first? I mean, were people like, why does, you know... Oh, people were appalled and really pissed off. You had mentioned uh, that. Why, it, why was it? Because of the sexual nature of this? You know, the basis on yes, the sexual... Yes, well, the Christians hated that because it had, had to do with sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, the botanists and the scientists hated it because... Because somebody was, was telling them what to... and stepping on their toes. Yes, right. precisely. And right. evidently, he was... Linnaeus was um, arrogant and... Uh, Authoritative, uh, probably. And, yes, right. and self, self-absorbed. self Right, right. Because I just know this from reading. Obviously, you know, we right. don't know this. Oh, you, do, you, you don't know him? <laughs> Well, I'm not going to tell you my age, dear. But, you know. <laughs> well, look, all you got to do is look at a picture of his of uh, Linnaeus in his Lapland costume, and that'll tell you everything you need to know about him. <laughs> yes, yes, his Lapland costume. He used to show up at me at like Royal Botanic Garden meetings in that outfit to impress everybody. Yes. And in fact, Linnaeus has a plant named after him. Yes. It's called. It's called, well, in English, anyway, it's called twin flower. We'll talk about plant names later on. Um, Linnea is the genus, L-I-N-N-A-E-A. Mm-hmm. And he was native of Lapland, and he was always pictured when he's painted. Yes. Of course, there, were no photogra- you know, there was no photography, obviously, but when he's ever painted, he's always holding one in his hand. And it wasn't until after his death that it was discovered in northern Canada, you know, it's a Nordic, or sure. not Nordic, but, you know, boreal. Well, see, there's another plant name, Borealis. It's a boreal plant uh-huh. in far north. Uh-huh. Uh, plant names can tell us, they tell us many, many things. And one of the things they can tell us is latitude, uh, longitude and latitude or direction, Borealis meaning northern, Australis, meaning southern. Mm-hmm. Australia has a name because the continent Australia because it's so far south. That's what Captain Cook gave it. Uh, Occidentalis, meaning western. Orientalis, meaning eastern. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, um, it's so, I mean, it really, it, it, the names are never ending. There's thousands. In fact, uh, his book, meaning uh, Linnaeus's book, The Species Plantarum, mm-hmm. There were many editions of it. He described all the plants known to humankind. There had to be tens of thousands in there. And, of course, he had to keep revising it because new plants were discovered all the time. It was amazing. He was amazing. Didn't he also say, Scott, that that he felt that the botanical Latin should not only just be used for naming and classifying the plants, but also that all works relating to plants should also be written in Latin so that everyone could understand it, so that the knowledge could be disseminated throughout, you know, Europe and the rest of the world. Well, yes. But what happens if he didn't speak Latin? That was the trouble. But, of course, Latin was 
the language, as I said, of the educated and the intelligentsia. Um, Everyone had to take so, it. It wasn't an elective, right? <laughs> if you if you right. if you were a serious scholar, you had to know Latin and Greek. In fact, um, I, I told this to Alice recently. Max, my son, who's in junior high, is going to have three years of Latin, which is a very which good is thing. extremely rare to see today. I think that's great. It's, it's fantastic. I can't believe that a public school in New York City is requiring Latin mandatory, mandatory yeah. for three years. No, I think it's great because uh, I think in this age of quick information off the internet, I, I think you really forget kind of the classical roots of these words and how language, how understanding the roots of these words can transform your language and your knowledge of history and current events and world, you know, world economics. You can't ignore, you can't ignore it. And um, it's, I think it's really important, especially in this age of, you know, Wikipedia. I think you need to know what you're reading, you know, and, and, and SATs and, you know, learning other languages and no it's definitely helped i mean he's now he's learned how much of the english language is based in latin and greek too yeah and he would not have known that otherwise Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. but also for yeah for and it's it's a way of understanding the natural world around you and i think we have to we have to you know put considerable effort towards that Mm -hmm. it just doesn't exist anymore yes no i absolutely agree um but like everything else, it's not for everybody. No. You, really, you, you need to really want to explore it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. You can't ship it down people's throats. No, exactly. Well, yes, we can. Now that we have a radio program. <laughs> <laughs> don't touch that dial. Thing. Yeah, don't you dare. Because unfortunately, we have to. Because part two is coming up. We have to, we have to stop the show for, for today. But we'll we be are, back next week. We're going to be back next week to do part two of Botanical Latin, and we're, we're going to, with Scott, help you understand how to decipher it in more depth and also how to pronounce it, perhaps, a little bit, which I always have trouble with. Exactly. So that's it for today on We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. We'd like to thank Jack Inslee for um, producing. I wish I could say that in Latin, but maybe I will after part two. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Happy gardening. Uh-huh. Bye. Bye.